We know coming up at the end of this month, there is going to be an eclipse, a total eclipse. If you're in like the middle part of the country, uh, in the 70 mile wide strip, they'll actually have a total eclipse, but we will see over half the sun covered here. Interesting to me that just about every time there's some phenomenon like this that's out of the ordinary, people start talking about the apocalypse. It's going to be the end of the world, you know, and, uh, and people start getting scared. And, uh, and I've been seeing this passage that we read this morning for uh, our scripture reading uh, to, uh, in 2 Timothy, the third chapter, the first through the fifth verses. I keep seeing this pop up on social media with people saying, we're there right now. And let's face it, we are. All the different things that are listed there, that is our culture, that is our country today. For men will be, and not just men, let's say people, will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control. I mean, you just go on down through here. You read the news any day. You see all this being played out in our country. And uh, it's kind of disheartening if you're not a Christian. But this is just it. If you're a Christian, it should make you excited because it means that we are in the last days. And that should be an exciting thing for those of us who know the Lord. Uh, first of all, it, it, it kind of helps prove that the Bible is true because we have been getting here for a protracted period of time. There was a time uh, started back at least in the 50s where the church started drifting from the true gospel and they started drifting into what some people call a social gospel. And uh, they moved away from the good news of uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ having died for our sins and reconciled us to God to uh, we are God's people. We are his creation and we're just going to keep getting better and better. And this whole creation is going to just keep getting better and better. And uh, I don't know if you know, there's some of the hymns that we sing, one by Harry Emerson Fosdick, uh, where it says, For the darkness will turn to the dawning, and the dawning to noonday light, and Christ's great kingdom will come on earth, the kingdom of love and light. And you know what? What they're singing about there, what's there what that's talking about is... Uh, Humanity just getting better and better. And it didn't happen, did it? It got, you know, seemed like, uh, anyway, we've been on kind of a downward skid for quite a while now. And what people were saying was going to happen, that we were going to wind up with the whole world being a one big world utopia. The utopia part's kind of gone out of it, but they still want the one big world government. It's kind of weird, don't you think? 
they're wanting, it's kind of all my, anyway, I don't want to get off into politics and stuff like that, but I'm just saying, we have watched things just come and it looks like, and, and for a while there, it looked like things were getting better and better. And then all of a sudden they just took a nosedive and it just confirms that what the Lord said is going to happen is going to happen, not what people said. And the really good thing about all this is it does help prove that the Bible is true. I'm afraid that a lot of people live with the question in their head, what if the Bible is true? Not the Bible is true, but what if the Bible is true? And I think that's why these cataclysmic things scare people because they haven't totally committed to accepting the Bible as being true. And because they have not, they're living with more of themselves in the world than they are in the word. And so they live fearful lives and their fear is that the way they're living might be wrong. But they're trying to keep their eyes and ears open because they want to, if they can see at the last minute that things are going to be the way the Bible says, they want to be able to jump in with both feet. But, but until then, they want to, just like the children of Israel did when they were accused by, uh, let's see, who was, uh, by Joshua. Say, why halt ye between two opinions? You know, why do you hop on one foot, on the God foot, and then the Baal foot? Why do you hop between two opinions? If God be God, serve him. If Baal be God, serve him. But make up your mind. And through the years, that call has come from God to us. Make up your mind which camp you're going to be in. Are you going to be a part of the problem in this world? Or are you going to be a part of the solution? Whose are you? And uh, the thing is, living out of what if the Bible is true is scary. And then there's some people that are still scared that are living about what if the Bible is not true. They're trying to live the life that God has called them to live, but they still have this doubt. And the reason why they hold on to that doubt is the same reason as the people that are more over into the world than they are is because they're kind of hoping they can get away with some stuff. You know, let's face it. They're just, they're trying, but they're, they're hedging their bet by, by trying to be good. Well, the other people are being bad and hoping they can turn good in time, see? But they're, neither one of them is where they should be. And where the Lord wants us to be is where we accept the fact that the Bible is true. This past week, I ran across a fascinating article about uh, what researchers have discovered is in DNA over in Lebanon. They've, they've they, uh, unearthed some uh, Canaanite graves and they took samples of Canaanite uh, DNA. And then they discovered that a lot of the inhabitants of Lebanon have 90% of the Canaanite DNA. They are direct descendants and very uh, strong descendants of Canaanites. Then this article goes on and says, this proves that the Bible is not true because it said that uh, the Canaanites, 
that God told them him to wipe out all the Canaanites and he wiped out all, they wiped out all, it says right there, and Joshua wiped them all out. Therefore, the Bible is not true. Now, what they did not do was read the whole, that whole book of the Bible. What it's talking about there where it says Joshua wiped them all out, he was talking about one kingdom of about five or six. Yeah, he obliterated this bunch, but there were at, three, at least three different locations, if you read on, where the Canaanites weren't killed. They couldn't overpower them. Jerusalem was one of the places where uh, they weren't able to wipe them out. And so, but they, over, they overpowered them enough, they, they reached a truce where they started paying the Jews tribute. And so here these people are trying to take DNA and use it to prove that the Bible's not true. And yet they're not willing to read the whole story and read everything. And what they took one snippet out of context and said, this proves the Bible's not true. And instead, when you read the whole thing, it proves the Bible is true. You see, there were Canaanites. There are still Canaanites. Doesn't disprove the Bible at all. Uh, I, there was years ago, there was a, uh, an archaeologist named Sir William Ramsey that decided he was a devout atheist. And he was going to prove that Luke's writings were false, that they couldn't be the way that they said they were. So he went over to the Holy Land and he spent decades ferreting out every location that Luke mentioned in the Gospel of Luke and in the, and in the book of Acts. And to his amazement, every place that Luke talked about was there. Places that, that had been forgotten in antiquity Sir William Ramsay rediscovered and he wound up coming away saying that Luke was one of the most admirable historians he had ever come across. And Sir William Ramsay became a devout follower of Jesus Christ, one who had set out to disprove the Bible. And the more he tried to disprove it, the more convinced he was it was true. There are many, many others that have done the same thing. Uh, recently, DNA has done some other interesting things, like several years ago, scientists discovered that all the people that are living today have come forward from one woman. That they all can trace, we can all trace our roots. Every living human being can trace their roots back to one woman. He said, okay, well, we'll call her Eve the first woman. But there's a problem here because they could tell that there were other women that were living at the same time that she was living. But for some reason, all of their progeny died out. And if you look at it, it becomes clear. This wasn't Eve. This is Mrs. Noah. Remember, she was only through her that all this, we all can trace ourselves back to Mrs. Noah. More recently, I discovered last week, they have divided this stuff up a little more, and they've discovered that every one of us can trace ourselves back to one of three portals to 
what the, the person they call Eve, but who I would call Mrs. Noah. And they think it's really puzzling that, you know, even though there were other contemporaries of these people, only these three portals who were descendants of, I'm just going to say Mrs. Noah, are not, only these three people, Mrs. Noah's descendants come through. It's pretty clear that Mrs. Shem, Mrs. Ham, and Mrs. Japheth, uh, Noah's sons, Mrs. Noah's sons, Mrs. Noah's daughters-in-law, actually. They only trace mitochondrial DNA through women. So they've traced us back. We've come through either Shem, Ham, or Japheth. Do you see that? And so science proves what people keep trying to deny over and over and over. I could go on, but I'm not going to. But I'm just saying that we need to get to the point to where we quit questioning what if the Bible's true and what if the Bible's not true and accept, oh, I said I wasn't going to stomp because I was afraid the roof might cave in. But anyway, we've got to accept the fact the Bible is true. Once you do that, you know how to live. You know which way to go. And so uh, we know that we're living in the last days. We know this. Now, Paul himself, he thought that they, and they were. Let's, let's just face it. We don't know the time or the place. Jesus told us not to start trying to pinpoint it. And we don't know. They were expecting Jesus to return and for us to go up and meet him in the air while Paul was still alive. And this is what he says. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have been put on, on, put on the imperishable, and this mortal put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And listen to this last line. Knowing, not hoping, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Christianity isn't a hope-so religion. It's a no-so faith. There's a big difference. So, how do we live in these last days? The last days a lot closer than it was when Paul said these, these words. Therefore, how should we live? First of all, um, I would, uh, let's see, I'm, I'm trying to, so, okay. This is the way I figured out to say this. Live like we're going to live forever and that this day could be your last. That's it in a nutshell, isn't it? Because we will live forever. 
We will live through all eternity, as we said last time I preached uh, uh, here. Uh, when we've been there 10,000 years bright, shining as the sun, we've no less days. You know, our life is never going to end in Christ Jesus. Our earthly life will stop one way or another. Either we'll die or we'll be transformed. One way or the other, it's going to happen if we're believers. And uh, so we live like we're going to live forever, and we are. But we also live like this could be the last time we're going to see our loved ones. It could be the last day that we have to do something for the Lord. It It could be if we live every day like it's our last day, then we're going to live keeping short accounts with God and trying as much as possible with us to be at peace with those around us, aren't we? So uh, anyway, first of all, make sure you're at peace with God. Now, I don't have time to talk, but I'm just going to go through the rest of this just really quickly. Make sure you're at peace with God. Enter into that believer's rest that comes to all who have quit trying to be good and instead have received what Jesus Christ did on the cross for them having repented from their sin and acknowledging that sin is wrong and that sin separates us from God. Sin's not a bad word. It's a word that hurts sometime, but it hurts to make us better. It hurts to make us holy. It hurts to make us pure. It's harmful. And that's what God wants to get out of this world. Anyway, so enter into believer's rest by quitting to try to trust in being good And just resting in the fact that Jesus loved you so much that he died on the cross for you. And receive that payment as your punishment. That he paid the price. He took the punishment that you were due. And just accept that. And then live in obedience to God from that point on. Live a God-pleasing life from that point on. Not rationalizing sin to salve your conscience, but recognizing it for what it is. I remember talking with a slave cracker one time, said he had a deal with God. He only stole from people that had insurance and that way, no way, never got hurt. That's rationalizing. Do you see that? Thou shalt not steal. Still says thou shalt not steal whether somebody has insurance or not. So anyway, I won't go into more details than that. Women in dire straits, I don't know how many I've come across that have wound up living with a guy and saying that that was God's salvation for her. Let's live in adultery because God put this guy here to be my sugar daddy or whatever, you know. Anyway, that's not right. Adultery is still adultery. Fornication is still fornication. Okay, not justifying sin, but fleeing from it. That's how our denomination began. When people wanted to flee from sin and from the wrath to come. And live your life from that point on in confidence and joy. Knowing that you are in the right place and that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Last thing, try to take as many to heaven with you as you possibly can. Tell Harlow about it, Kim, Rick. Tell your kids about it. Tell them about the gospel. Had a conversation with my granddaughter. I was able to 
double check with her, make sure she was on the coming back uh, on a trip the other day. She said, you going to be ready. She kind of looked shocked. She said, well, yeah, I am. But anyway, but you have opportunities. You have opportunities. I know one guy said if the rapture starts to take place and he's starting to go up to heaven, he's going to grab a sinner by the hair in each hand. And as they're on their way up, he's going to say, do you repent and be saved or do I let go? <laughs> but the thing is, the thing is, we should. And that's just it. Instead of really fretting over what we see in the news, it should be an incentive to us to spread the good news because it is needed more now than ever before. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.